you're developing your international business, one thing is often forgotten, cultural differences. The Culture Matters International Business Podcast does exactly that. Focus on international business and cultural differences. Chris and Peter guide you through the maze of business and cultural differences in every podcast episode. Get the global perspective here at the Culture Matters International Business Podcast. Good morning, good evening, or good afternoon in between, of course, as well. You're listening to the Culture Matters podcast. We are on episode 156. This will be a little bit of a different podcast because we are not interviewing a guest, but we actually are being interviewed by someone else. Together with Peter van der Linde, my business partner, we are being interviewed by Leonardo Marra. He is currently located in Shanghai, but is of Italian descent and uh, has studied in the UK, but runs a podcast on internal, internal or international business, I should say, as well. All right, let's get right to this interview. Hello there. Welcome to International Business Podcast, a show for those who work across time zones, borders, and cultures. I'm your host, Leonardo, from Shanghai, but let's make it simple and just call me Leo. We also have a new co-host, Stefano, based in Paris. Coming up on today's episode. Focusing on those cultural differences, I think, makes sense because focusing on the similarities makes no sense. It's one of the reasons why this failed, this merger between KLM and Alitalia failed as well because and that's on that that process if you want they focused on the similarities and not on the differences you understand that you're an Italian abroad and the same, same thing goes for me in the United States I still don't understand that I'm a Dutchman I have a certain way of seeing things or approaching things the Dutchman doesn't leave the Dutchman when he is abroad uh, but if I know this then at least I can uh, can adapt better Peter and Chris work together to help executives to become more culturally competent. Too often is the impact of cultural differences underestimated that leads to international expansion failures. More info on both guests in the show notes. Culture is a complex concept. Let's jump into today's episode to clear some doubts. Hi Chris, hi Peter, I'm glad to have you on. Welcome to the show. Hey, Leo. Good afternoon or good evening for you, I guess, no? Evening. Good evening. Good evening, Leona. And good afternoon, Chris. Good morning from Atlanta. So it's cool because the three of us are in three different continents right now. And I would say that that makes us international professionals. But I want to know specifically from you guys, both of you, why would you define yourselves as international professionals or businessmen? Oh, my goodness. That's... Um... Uh, professional, I, I leave that up to the, 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 the judge. I won't, I won't, I will not label myself as being interna international professional. International, I guess. I mean, I've, I've, did some, I've done some travel left and right. Um, I was born in Amsterdam. I live in Brussels at this moment. Uh, and I've traveled. You pretty much name a country. And I think I've been there other than the Koreas and, uh, and down under Australia and New Zealand. Um, professional, I don't know. I think I think I know what I'm talking about, um, and which is intercultural management or intercultural cultural differences in general, and organizational culture. And I've done that for the last more or less 20 years. So 
Um, and I've been able, as they say, to hold up my own pants in, in terms of running my own business. And um, so there must be some people that believe I can do something, I guess. So that, that's, that, that would potentially make me an international professional. Wow, that sounds so humble as a Dutchman even. No, I, I, I think Chris is, uh, is trying to be too humble. He is uh, truly an international uh, um, professional in my eyes and uh, cultural specialist. But um, I, when it comes to myself, I do consider myself an international professional simply because I've lived in nine countries. I speak three languages on a daily basis, uh, Spanish, Dutch and English. I manage some German as well. I have three daughters who are born in three different countries. My wife is from South America. Um, I'm from the Netherlands originally. I'm now living in, in, uh, in the United States. So yes, I do consider myself an international professional. I think that's actually the core of my uh, background and the core of my business today. That's also why I now work also with Chris at Culture Matters. Uh, Culture Matters. Uh, you can find it in culturematters.com. Uh, that's how we hooked up because Chris is a cultural specialist. I'm kind of more the international business person and the combo is good. So Chris, you mentioned before culture, uh, I mean, we'll say the culture matters, but why is paying attention to cultural differences important? Are you implying then that you should focus more on, on cultural similarities rather than differences? No, I will go for differences, actually. Okay, good, good, good. good. At least you're on, you're on our, our side of the fence, at least. Um, let me just quickly explain this, because there's, there are people that actually are in the camp, if you want, of focusing on cultural similarities, which is, if you look at it like this, I mean, I mean if, if you compare yourself or we compare ourselves with a fruit fly, for instance, you know that little these little things that pop out of nowhere and they 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 go also into nowhere somehow. We have about seventy eight percent of our DNA the same as a fruit fly. If you look at our closest primates, the bonobo, we have about ninety eight percent of our DNA is the same as the bonobo. Still, you know, negotiating with the bonobo is 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 pretty hard, even though we are more similar than different. So to that extent, focusing on the differences makes much more sense than focusing on the similarities. I mean. If we would be focusing on the similarities right now, Leo and, and Peter and myself, we take it for granted that we speak English amongst ourselves. We, we just don't even think about that because if not, there would be no communication going. So um, focusing on those cultural differences, I think, makes sense because focusing on the similarities makes no sense. It's one of the reasons why this failed, this merger between KLM and Alitalia failed as well, because and that's on that that process, if you want, they focused on the similarities and not on the differences. Um, and I think culture matters. It, we see it happening so often. I mean, it, what is it? 70, 80% of all the international mergers and acquisitions fail. And um, people usually do not are not able to put their finger on those cultural differences because they simply blame the Italian. It's you, Leo. It's, it's you, Leo, being the Italian that it's just you. It's not your Italian heritage or culture that you bring to the table. No, it's you. So they, they pinpoint it onto personal or personalities as such. And then these things tend to fail. Um, I don't know why my still many companies uh, brush over cultural differences so fast. And I think the ones that don't have quite a significant competitive advantage over the competition that doesn't. Um, if you look at those mergers and acquisitions again, what is it? 50% bring no added value, 20% bring, uh, no, like 53% actually they cost value of the mergers, the, the, the merger of the two companies or more maybe, and about 20% 
they don't bring any value. So add that up and you're over 70% already. And it's usually because people just simply do not focus on the cultural differences. That's at least this is, I mean, I'm preaching for my own choir in this case, but that's what I certainly believe in. Because doing the numbers is easy and economical due diligence is relatively easy. But doing a culture due diligence, you know, that might actually hurt as well. And then that might actually turn out like, okay, there are so many differences. Maybe we shouldn't even do this. Economically, it might make sense. But culturally, this is going to be a bridge that we cannot cross. So I think it's important to do both an economical due diligence, but certainly also a cultural due diligence. So cultural differences are very important. Uh, and I agree with you, Chris. But Peter, then I want to ask you, why do companies then brush over these cultural differences so quickly? Yeah, I, I think uh, Chris partly already answered the question, but I think it's just the famous, call it the famous blind spot. Uh, that people have and that also companies as a, as a, as a combination or as a, as an entity have, uh, what, what is considered, uh, if you're in KLM, Royal Dutch Airlines, and there's a lot of Dutch people, then, uh, then whatever happens in that company, there's a company culture. That's what the norm is. And then, and you're in the Netherlands, you're in the Dutch culture. That's considered normal. Uh, so as soon as you start to merge with another company, certain, you, you, the companies and people in the company tend to look at uh, why are we doing this from a financial perspective, what Chris already mentioned. Uh, and as soon as they start to get to work, then uh, they have a different approach because they are from different countries. So the goal might be the same, but how to get to that goal is very, very different. And that's where a lot of things go wrong. In fact, um, we, we talk about it all the time, and German might be engineering towards a certain solution. Uh, an Italian might be going, uh, you know, you mentioned Rome earlier and, and the politics of it, and might be, uh, what's the word, might be uh, going through all sorts of political hoops and, and, and dances to get to that goal. A Dutchman goes back and forth because that's what we like to do. We would like to discuss everything and have everybody on the same page. Uh, and an American does maybe trial and error. So if you combine those four, for example, uh, and you have the same goal in mind, but one goes trial and error and one wants to engineer, you can see the conflict already coming up. And if you don't understand as a company that wants to merge or wants to work together, that people do things in a similar way, but differently, then things start to clash. So I think it's kind of a blind spot that people just don't see unless they're confronted with it. With it, and Chris can tell you also many stories about companies who try to do stuff and then things go wrong. So it's many times it's at the back end try to fix it. So yes, Chris, let's get a little bit practical here with the audience. Give us some examples of where it went wrong and especially why it went wrong. Um, okay, I've, I've I've been thinking about this this question already in terms of giving you a, a concrete answer, but maybe on on two perspectives as well. One from a company perspective, there are several examples. I mean, Peter and I, we come both come from this KLM crib. If you want the Royal Dutch Airlines, it went horribly wrong with Alitalia, which was not the fault of the Italians, nor the fault of the Dutch, but it was just a miss in terms of cultural understanding. Um, then there's Daimler Chrysler, American versus German. That didn't work out also because of cultural reasons. 
Um, what is it? Um, Walmart in Germany didn't work either. The American company trying to to build a uh, foothold in Germany didn't work either. So there there are plenty of company company examples here. Um, one from from my personal experience, one of the bigger bigger, if not the biggest, um, European travel uh, organizations. They have hotels and planes and uh, and they are organized travel as well and, and they work on a global well global at least european level whereby for instance the swedes need to manage the brits and where the germans need to manage the brits as well and there are many complaints about the the, the brits complaining about the germans like okay you want everything grundlich und punktlich like everything square and into a box and with an agenda while the germans look at the brits and say guys why did you stop and think about things first and why do you always want to do 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 you look you, you look like a headless chicken running around now because they don't think and the germans want to think and stop and plan etc and and the brits in this case just simply want to do now another example if you'll allow me, comes from a more more personal um, perspective. I've been married to an Indian, a, a real Indian from Calcutta. We lived at that time in the Netherlands, and one day I came home. One step back is that you need to realize that India is, is a collectivistic society, and the Dutch are rather individualistic. Um, and uh, so I keep to myself, and, and the neighbors keep to ours to, to themselves as well. While Indians, you know, they look at bigger groups, etc. One day I came home, and then my wife at the time she said, you know, why do the neighbors never come to me? What is this? What? Why? Why? I feel so isolated. I feel so lonely. And that that is on a very personal scale as well. Um, and on another level, this has happened to me. I was living on my own in Amsterdam, the city. And um, the caretaker of the building, they, he, he rang my doorbell and he said, Chris, the Dutchman, a Dutchman versus a Dutchman, me and him, him and me. And he asked me, can I, can I get an appointment with you? Because the Dutch do everything by appointment, right? I'd like to talk to you. Okay, that's fine. Uh, what would you like to talk, to talk to me about? I asked. He said, no, I just want to have an appointment. And uh, I said, okay, but what do you want to talk about? Because I'd like to know, I'd like to prepare, right? I'd like to know what you're talking about. He said, no, I just want an appointment with you. And then I turned around, I said, listen, if you don't tell me what it's about, you're not going to get, get an appointment with me. And then he sort of, he sort of drooped, his face went all droopy in a way. And he said, I just wanted to give you a bunch of flowers and welcome you to the building. So, you know, it's this this very individualistic behavior led to, well, friction, which was basically unnecessary, but this is individualism. So there you can see it on, on different levels, on organizational levels, uh, on intermanagerial levels, but also really on personal levels as well. Navigating across cultures and uh, through cultures is complicated. So Peter, I would like to ask you, is this a competence? I mean, cultural competence. Is this something that can be learned? Do you, I don't know, born with? How does that work? Uh, this, is a, this, of course, goes to, to the heart of what uh, Chris has been doing for uh, decades and which I have seen up close myself and which is something we are doing together now. The cultural competence is a competence. A competence can be learned. Um, I think people should try to be open to it before that starts to happen. But it, it, some people might have it by themselves for some reason. But in most cases, people are not culturally competent if they have not been exposed to other cultures or they're not open to it. Uh, but it is definitely a skill. Um, it, it can be learned, especially if people bump their head. I mean, that's sometimes the best way to learn. Like, why is this not working between the Germans and the Dutch? Why is this 
Italian not working well with the, with, with the Dutch or the Americans and the Mexicans. Uh, and then if you go into one room and you start to analyze it, then people start to see it. And it goes back to a little bit to what was mentioned earlier is um, why didn't it work with Alitali and KLM, for example? Well, the reasons were uh, according at, at the time to the newspapers because it didn't fit together. The financially, there were all sorts of problems. The airport was not developed, etc. But if you go under the hood and you analyze it going back, uh, there are great articles written about this. Can you blow up a merger because the Italians are on the phone too much during a meeting? or the Dutch want to eat sandwiches with milk too early in the day and what have you. And then the answer was, yes, you can. Because if you don't recognize the differences, you cannot do anything about it. So you have to recognize differences. That's why we always talk about differences and not commonality. Uh, and, and in fact, there was a great article written about KLM and Alitalia well, uh, as well, which is called, a, a bridge requires a gap. You cannot build a bridge between two cultures if you don't even recognize that there is a gap and there's a difference. And if you show the, the two people in companies or, or, or international people that there is, in fact, a gap, uh, then you can build a bridge. And that's called cultural competence. Now you know it's not, the, it's not Leonardo who is late. It's not that uh, Chris is uh, being so uh, rude. He, the one is just Dutch and the other one is in Italian. Now, now we want to work together. How do we do it? Uh, experience counts indeed um, and this is something that I advise my clients as well if they want something to know about cultural differences or cult cultural competence let if they if they start start working together anew then let them work together for a couple of months first because then at least they build up a frame of reference at least then they've bumped their nose like you said Peter and um, I've done some work for different universities uh, here and there uh, around the world as well. And university students generally, they're intellectually, they can they can understand what you're saying, but they don't have a frame of reference. So they are, the, in, to that extent, the most ungrateful audience that you can have. Because if I say to, to, to them, for instance, that the concept of time for Italians is something that is different than the, for the concept of time from Germans, you know, then they will just shake their head because they don't have this frame of reference. So having a frame of reference, in other words, indeed being able to bump your nose or having bumped your nose is something which will greatly help as well because then you can actually place, um, uh, well, the stuff that we, that Peter and I talk about. I have a, I would say, a quick question for, for you, Peter. I like, I would say, a very quick and concise definition of stereotypes. What are they? I would actually ask Chris that question. <laughs> go, Chris. Okay. Um, court, short, short and good is incomplete truths. So stereotypes, are they something that we should be aware of or kind of completely avoid? No, you can't avoid them because they're there. And that's, that's like avoiding them is, 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 is an illusion. Realizing them that um, I compare stereotypes to the normal distribution or the bell curve, if you want whereby um and then if, if i can use you or abuse you leo in terms of being an italian um do do uh, oh, go ahead <laughs> do italians eat pizza and pasta and stuff like that yes the majority of italians will eat pasta and pizza and all that good stuff that you have so that's in a big bubble of a bell curve right but if you have to look at the extremes of the bell curve, which is, well, the, 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 the slopes, if you want, at the end of the bell curve, you will find Italians that only, but only, only eat pasta and pizza. And on the other side, you will find Italians just that don't even touch the stuff because they don't like it or they want it or whatever it is. So it, to, to that extent, you have to be careful with stereotypes because there will always be an exception to the rule. 
it's not fixed in concrete. So they're incomplete truths. Part of them are true and part of them are, are not true. You will always find an exception. And if I may add to that, I think it's also, you cannot avoid them. They are just, just there, right? So um, in fact, they might be sometimes even helpful because if, if you would go into an international environment and you wouldn't, from the start, you would say a Dutchman might be so direct that it might be rude to an Italian. If you know that upfront and now you're going to work with a Dutchman, you think, okay, maybe I'm not listening to a rude person necessarily. This is one of those stereotypes. The Dutch are very direct. So suddenly you might be able to accept it a little bit better. Uh, similarly, if, uh, if you see an Italian, this actually happened in KLM and Alitalia, what I'm talking about now. If you see an Italian picking up the cell phone during a meeting, uh, that's not to disturb uh, the meeting or to be, uh, to be rude to the audience. It's just an Italian is more flexible when it comes to attending different people at the same time uh, than a Dutchman is who is strict. Like if I talk to you, you talk to me and that's it. So stereotypes might sometimes even be helpful because again, you can see the differences. And if you see differences, you can build a bridge. Good point, Peter. So this could be a bit of a broad question and you can choose if both of you maybe want to answer to this. So working again across cultures is difficult. To, to do this well, is it about understanding all or most or anyway, a lot of cultures or is it about understanding a method to read and then work across cultures? What I mean is, is it like a methodology that you would apply or is it about broadening your own knowledge of different cultures? Does that make sense? You need to understand your own culture first. Uh, if you, you need to understand as an Italian in China that you're an Italian and that you have a certain uh, way of going about life and professional life. You mentioned earlier that my, this is, I think it's not on the recording, but that you consider yourself uh, or that you like the way of working in, uh, in the UK, in the United States, for example. But you can say that as an Italian because you're an Italian, that you'll prefer that as the way people might work in Rome because you, you, you understand that you're an Italian abroad. And the sim same thing goes for me in the United States. I still don't understand that I'm a Dutchman. I have a certain way of seeing things or approaching things. The Dutchman doesn't leave the Dutchman when he is abroad. Uh, but if I know this, then at least I can uh, can adapt better. So that's maybe a good intro to what Chris surely can uh, can perfect. It's the uh, it's the Chinese saying, Leo, that no doubt you you should know uh, or do know is that when you and I look at the same river, we both see a different river, because you have your own frame of reference and I have my own frame of reference, and that will determine how I I interpret whatever I see. You know, it's not only a Chinese verb, it's also that artists use this as well. Should you know everything about every culture? I don't think that's possible. Uh, that would be too much. It's like knowing the Encyclopedia Britannica, Phantom <laughs> Back, or every page on Wikipedia. Um, so what we do, what we use is a, we use a model of culture, which in the end would uh, give the audience a toolbox. Uh, and in the, this is typically physically in the form of a cheat sheet, where we are, there's a summary on the first primary dimension of culture, which is hierarchy, individualism, goal orientation, and predictability in this case. And then the scores of about 110 countries um, clustered in different areas in the world. 
where you can actually say, okay, now I'm doing business with Indians. Okay, where am I? What am I? I'm a Dutchman or I'm an Italian and um, I'm doing business with Indians. Okay, what are the difference between the Dutch or the, the Italians and the Indians in general? Because again, there will be exceptions to the Italians. You might be an exception, Leo, um, and Peter might be an exception being a Dutchman and the Indian as well. So it, you might totally miss it if you only, you know, with your blinkers on, focus on that model. But nonetheless, it is, um, as the founding father of this model said, he wisely, politically correct also said, with this model, I can explain more or less 49% of the, phenom the cultural phenomenon out in the world. The rest is up to chance, God, uh, whatever, you know, the universe, something like that. So... Having a model at hand makes sense to make at least some sense of the world around you. But does it explain everything all the time? For me, it does. But but that's professional deformation. But for people outside of, say, our world, they might actually find this a helpful tool. That's how I would see it. And what are the benefits, Chris, of, I would say, uh, being culturally competent? In general, if you look at it on a broader scale, like a company scale like that, if a company invests in cultural competence for their people on, on both sides, um, both sides, say the Italian side and the Indian side, if you want, then what you will accomplish is uh, smoother running projects, uh, less frustration, um, frustration of people because the Italians are always late, the Indians don't get it, etc., etc. You know, and, and that frustrates people and who tends to go first, leave a company first, the people who can do something, the good guys. So usually you end up with the bad guys or the not so good guys. Um, and then you have to hire new people. That's expensive. And all in all, it, it will save in the end, it will save you time and it will save you money. And those things, you know, that those things are expensive for organization. The problem with that is, and that's the holy grail with any kind of education, is how do you quantify this? How do you actually attribute this, this faster running project? If we could have shortened this project by two weeks because of our cultural competence, how much have we saved? And can we only attribute that to the cultural competence that we have gained over this whole workshop or whatever? So it, that's always difficult. And so far, nobody has been able to do so. On the other hand, from what I get feedback from my clients as well, is that indeed they, they, they can actually, you know, they, the Brits can joke with the, I'm talking about this travel organization, the Brits can actually joke with the Germans about their rigid, rigidness in, in terms of their agenda. And so what you establish then is that you take the emotional aspect out of that discussion. And if you take that emotional aspect out of that discussion, you take away the frustration as well. And, and, and understand why you're late, Leo. Yeah, it's not because you're Italian. It's just because you're flexible with time. And that's it. It's not you. It's just that that's just how you've been raised, you know. And, and so you can actually extrapolate that even further. I'll let you go in a, in a, in a second, Peter. If, if, if I get irritated with you being late, Leo, whose problem is it then? Is that your problem that you're being late or is it my rigidness or adherence to timekeeping that's in the way? You tell me. Yeah, I was going to add, Chris, uh, because the, the question, uh, the, the, the question by Leonardo was also what, you know, what, what can you do? What can you avoid? What are some of the, the benefits of being culturally competent? Well, you, Chris gave, gave a summary and to make it really concrete also in, 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 in terms of known um, failed mergers in the world. For example, take again Daimler Chrysler. You know, Daimler is a German company. Chrysler is an American company. It was a massive failure. 
Uh, and you go then back to how do Germans work and how do Americans work culturally very, very different when it comes to, for example, what project management is or how do you get to a certain goal? The Germans engineer towards it, towards a goal, and the Americans trial and error towards a goal. There cannot be a bigger clash because a German will be completely taken off guard if things are just done without thinking about it and just instead of planning it out and engineer it. And if you're not cultural competent, then you might point at each other and say, you're slow, right? Because you're engineer and you're bureaucratic. And the Germans might be pointing at the Americans and say, you're just doing things without thinking about it. You're stupid. And if you're cultural competent, you might think, okay, here we go. The Germans are doing it this way. We are doing it this way. We understand this. We're going to do this together. So cultural competence is about avoiding these major failures because that was an expensive exercise to have merged those two companies and then to split them again. I've got one final question I ask everyone who comes on the show and I, I would like both of you to answer to this. So share with us, with the audience, uh, one memorable moment from your international career and you can choose between, I don't know, a funny one, a really bad one or a successful one. Your pick, guys. <laughs> Chris is uh, pointing. I don't know if you're pointing at me or you're pointing at Leonardo. Or I'm pointing at you, Peter. Pointing at me. I mean, the, I will tell one, one uh, story uh, that we already mentioned like three times because we're talking to an Italian and uh, Chris and I met each other uh, at KLM. So at KLM, we met each other at KLM in Venezuela, South America. Chris was uh, um, already doing training and coaching and stuff. And I was in, in commerce and marketing and sales. Quickly afterwards, we are starting to merge as a company with Alitalia. And um, we both had the similar observations. So Chris was in Amsterdam on, an, on the central level. I was actually in Buenos Aires, Caracas, Venezuela. Then I moved to Buenos Aires. So on a regional level. So I worked in all of, the, all of Latin America in the regional offices. And it was stunning how the differences between the Dutch and the Italians, but also the local Argentines or Argentinians and the Dutch and Italians were getting um, providing this impossible mix almost. And everybody was just pointing at each other like the Italians are crazy or the Dutch are crazy or whatever. And eventually it all blow, blew up, even to the point that I left uh, at some point, KLM and, and Chris as well. So that's on a, on a corporate level. I'm sure Chris has... Another story, a funny story might be more a light story. When I was in Mexico, in terms of time, we're talking about time and just uh, having a different concept of time. And I like to tell this story because I was a Dutchman. I was a country manager for Northwest Airlines and KLM in Mexico City. I lived there for five years. At some point, I said, let's have the whole office over to my house. Uh, we're going to have dinner, but let's come early so we can have a nice cold tequila reposado. Uh, and, and maybe a cold beer or something. So let's let's come to my house at six so we can have a drink and then have dinner afterwards. The Mexicans don't have dinner early. So at six, I invited the people. At seven, the first person show, showed up, seven. And that was the financial manager. So it might, it might have been in his professional DNA to be somewhat on time. And at eight o'clock, the next one, at nine o'clock, the, uh, the, the majority of people. And the last one uh, came at 10. And I asked him, Hector, what happened? Couldn't you, couldn't you find what, where, where my instructions or where to go? Where, was that not clear? Are you okay? And he said, yes, why? 
no, 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 no intent to say like, I'm four hours late. Uh, what's the problem? I'm here. Everything is cool, isn't it? So that was a kind of a funny story how people manage time differently. Show up at the Dutchman's house four hours late. That would be a very different story. So two stories. One is corporate and a disaster. One was a more on a personal level. I thought it was funny at the time. For the life of me, I don't know where I was. I wasn't in the Netherlands. I was somewhere out, and I was I was I was out. We were outside. It was the end of the of the of the meeting. I was walking with an American, and he was walking uh, evidently next to me. And he started asking me questions. He said, "I've got this issue with this Finnish person here, and um, this Finnish person has an American manager." And they're not getting along. And I don't understand why. I said, and then I, I looked at him. I said, okay, potentially your problems could be uh, one, two, three, and four. And then he looked at me and said, how do you know that? He, you, don't, you haven't even met these people. How do you know that? I said, well, I, I'm just using the, the, this model that I mentioned before. And I look and I know more or less what the scores of the US are. And I know more or less what the scores of the Finnish are. And I know where the friction points are. And so I know more or less I can I can pinpoint almost blindfold that okay this is where the issues will be this is how powerful a model can be like this um, and then okay this is really a long podcast and lots of editing going on I guess um, uh, an issue in terms of um, of losing face a losing face is something which is very uh, linked to a collectivistic society like the Mexicans uh, like the Russians uh, although the southern Italians as well. But also the Indians as well, and in the time and 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 uh, individualistic cultures are Western Europe, North America, and Australia and stuff like that. So I was on my holiday, my personal private holiday, with my wife at the time in Calcutta, in India, in Kolkata, as it's called right now. And then all of a sudden, my wife walked up to me and said, "Listen, you have to stay home today because my aunt is coming over and she wants to see you." And I was like, "Excuse me, this is my time. This is my holiday." And so why does your mom get to decide that her sister wants to see me? And why can't she not go to me and come to me and, and ask me, does it suit you? Is that okay for you? So I could have done two things. Um, the the that typical Dutch thing would have been, okay, well, screw it. I'm going to step out anyways. This is my time. This is my holiday. And if you want something from me, you come to me and you ask me. So, and then I thought again, I, I stopped, I thought, I stepped back and I thought, well, if I do that, I'm going to create a disaster because my wife would have lost face. Um, her mother, my mother-in-law at the time, would have lost face. The aunt, the sister of my mother-in-law would have lost face and I would have looked like a complete idiot as well. So I stayed there and I stuck around until, what is it, three o'clock, uh, but they came at four. They're flexible in their timing as well. They walked in, they said hello to me, 15 minutes English, and then after 15 minutes they continued in their own Bengali language. So I was there like, really, I was sitting like, sitting like a dog and waiting for things to happen. But at least I prevented loss of face um, for a number of people. After listening to this episode, guys, tell us about who should connect with you, and to wrap this up, tell us more about your current roles. Yeah, well, you can uh, get in touch with us on uh, on culturematters.com. We are both present there. You can also find us on LinkedIn. Uh, I also have another company that I'm currently working uh, with. I work as an independent as well. So we, Kirsten and I team up uh, with culturematters.com. My company is called Expand360. So you can find it on expand360.com. My current role is I work as apart from working with Chris on uh, cultural uh, competence for uh, companies, uh, I also still work in the airline and airport industry. 
so one of my main jobs currently is working. I'm working for a uh, with a company called ICM. It's an Amadeus company. Amadeus company is a European IT company, and this is about uh, self-service solutions for airports, which is now taking off really in uh, all across the world. So people can check in their own bags, and the face can be read through through biometrics. Uh, etc. People can board with biometrics. So that's what I'm doing also uh, from Atlanta, United States. Um, people who should get in touch uh, either with one of us or both of us when it comes to culture and cultural differences in general tends to be HR managers who get their messages from project managers uh, like this is not working. Could be project managers directly, but usually it's also CEOs. It's typically anybody who has some sort of uh, decision influence in terms of and and who has who has uh, an open eye for these cultural differences who understands like hang on maybe this could be cultural maybe it's not not because he's italian not because it's leo it's just because there might be a cultural difference and this might be broader actually than than uh, what we're seeing at this moment and this might be worth our while so that these kind of people should get in touch with us so guys do you prefer pizza or pasta Jeez, leo <laughs> do you prefer pizza or pasta um, one of my favorite I don't know if this is actually an Italian thing. Maybe you can tell me later on. I've been to Italy, of course, uh, but I, I I can't recall if that this was an obsession for me when I was in Italy. Uh, actually, I, I've been to Italy many times. As a student, we would drive from the Netherlands to Italy 200 miles an hour, 200 kilometers an hour, and just drive around the, uh, along the coast of, of Italy. It was just wonderful because if you have a car, you go to all these little towns uh, across the uh, across the water. Was wonderful, and then later as a professional, I went to Rome and to Milan and uh, and other places. But one of the things that I was fond of in the Netherlands was uh, pizza frutti di mare, so uh, just seafood on a pizza. And I I had it in the Netherlands. I I I'm, cannot recall if it's actually an Italian thing as well, but I cannot find it anywhere else. So put pizza frutti di mare is one of my favorite, but I cannot find it anywhere. So, Chris, Peter, uh, I want to thank you for your insights and thank you for joining us on the International Business Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe today to listen to more international business stories. We have new guests every Monday. Connect with us on LinkedIn, info in the show notes. See you next week. Cheers. Thank you, Leo, again for taking the time to interview us. We enjoyed it very much. And uh, we'd be very happy to do this again, of course. Well, this was the Culture Matters podcast, episode 156. Um, let's see. Together with Peter van der Linde, we really enjoyed doing this. At the beginning of this podcast, you could hear some background music. That is from Bensound. Check them out at bensound.com. Well, we'll be back in two weeks' time with another podcast from our own site. Thank you for listening. Take care. Bye. Overlooking cultural differences when you're developing your business internationally can be the biggest mistake you can make. Let Chris and Peter help you avoid those mistakes. Get in touch now. Go to culturematters.com.